Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where bringing together leaders in the gaming industry to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm James, and I collect businesses with talented freelancers in the German market. And today, I'm going to be your host. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nicholas, Lucas, Felix, and Andreas. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room to get some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. Nicholas, would you like to kick us off first with us? Sure. Thank you very much, James. So, yeah, my name is Nicholas Schleuder. I'm currently working at Thoughtfish as the game producer. Been doing that for a few years now, and we create mobile games and try to pioneer in certain directions um, with our own uh, data engine, which is called Koala. Currently, one of my favorite passions or my most interesting passions is actually um, trying to cook new recipes with uh, ingredients that I haven't heard before um, to see how you can uh, uh, transform or do things with ingredients that you just never saw. What's the most recent favorite recipe that you've uh, recently made? Um, actually, it was some kind of a curry with, um, I actually, I just forgot the name of the vegetable that we used it, but it was uh, quite interesting. Nice, nice. I love a curry. I absolutely love a curry. Perfect. Right, we'll move on to the next person. Uh, Felix, do you want to give us an introduction to yourself? Sure thing. Yeah, I'm Felix Daimel. Uh, currently working at Colibri Games as a lead developer, um, working on the newest title that we have released, which is Idle Bank Tycoon, having a lot of fun uh, working with my dev team there, but also with the big team in general, making sure that we can really bring a nice product to the market and, and growing it at the moment. My private time, um, like to do sim racing, bit of a weird hobby that it's not that well known, but having a lot of fun there, having the competitive drive, uh, and yeah, a lot of fun. Nice, love it, absolutely love it, perfect. Right, so moving on, next person, Andreas, would you like to sort of introduce yourself? Yes, I would. Um, yeah, so I'm Andreas. I recently moved to Berlin to work for Toadman Interactive. I'm a technical designer. I've been in the industry for about uh, six and a half years now. Um, I think one of my biggest passions is like figuring out um, uh, procedural rhetoric game mechanics. Um, it's a very interesting topic to me, but currently in my free time, I think the most interesting thing is going around and um, discovering Berlin, uh, especially post-pandemic. haven't been out much, and it's really interesting going to the museums and all the sites. Amazing. Sounds great. And finally, Lucas, would you like to introduce yourself? So hello everyone. So my name is Lucas. Uh, right now I'm working as an associate producer at Ubisoft Dusseldorf. Been uh, in the games industry for about like 10 plus years. Um, yeah, I mean, right now my current passions are like the spring. <laughs> so I can actually do a lot of photography, you know, like driving around and finding some cool spots. Uh, so yeah, that's mostly it uh, uh, on the passion front. But yeah, I've been working with games for a while and from small teams to big teams uh, like on indie titles from like Ubisoft big brands so yeah I'm glad that I'm here to contribute. <laughs> Fantastic cheers for that Lucas. Okay so now that we've established context of each of you um, let's move on to the topic of focus. Uh, you have a question about how to get the best out of your development teams so as usual I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question uh, and then the reason behind it each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation so let's start with nicholas and your question is how does this change depending on your role in the team do you want to give us a bit of context behind this question 
Yeah. So if we take a look at the overarching question, how to get out, uh, how to get the best out of your development team, um, I find it found it quite interesting when I thought about it. Um, we all have a quite interesting perspective since we did not only uh, are not only currently in producer slash lead roles, but I guess every one of us was also at a point where we were just a coworker or uh, uh, actually a developer in one of the teams. And considering that the audience might not be in the same position as we are, I thought it really interesting to get your perspectives on, A, looking back, what were things that you could have been doing to actually improve the output of your uh, um, team, of yourself, of your coworkers? Um, and uh, yeah, see, and would like to hear what kind of approaches, what kind of possibilities that you thought of. Thank you very much. Uh, Lucas, do you want to sort of lead with us? Yeah, that's a pretty interesting um, takeaway. Like, yeah, as a, as a producer, uh, of course, we're kind of like in the center, right? Of like trying to, you know, grease out the, the, um, the cogs and uh, make the development process as easy as possible. And like, that's easier said than done, right? Uh, I think that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that um, people take take rented uh, on a development uh, um, situation. And uh, before I was a producer, I was actually a game designer. Uh, and um, in the game designer role, I think that um, there is a lot of passion, right? There's a lot of like um, interest for your ideas. And I think that back then, uh, I kind of like was a more lenient game designer let's say like that and um so i think that lucas game the game designer that turned the producer uh later on uh could have been uh, uh, a little bit more you know like questioning kind of like the questioning right around this, the designs i mean i i am a, a people person and i think that i uh gravitated towards the production role because of that of my ease to you know uh, make connections uh but as a game designer I was also good at that, but I was also people pleasing a lot, right? So like as a game designer, you have a designer, have a vision, and it's difficult for you, uh, especially back then when technical game design was not much of a thing. You would actually need a lot of people to actually see your design come through. Uh, I guess like now you actually have a lot of tools to do that. Uh, so yeah, I think that on my end, uh, as a game designer, I think that I could have been a little bit more confident about my designs because I think that I owe a little bit the word of like, what could my designs be if I was uh, not people pleasing that much to change them? But of course, not that I'm telling you, hey, game designers, be arrogant <laughs> about your designs. Don't do that. Collaborate, but don't shadow yourself like I did when I was a game designer to kind of like please everyone and feel safe. Um, as a producer, I think that uh, the um, people pleasing kind of goes away more and more, but it's still there. Um, so I think that my biggest tip that kind of falls for every role is like being intentional, like about your contribution, like in a way that you kind of pause for a second. Don't, don't try to give your answer that fast, pause it, understand, you know, what you are proposing. And if that means that you are shadowing yourself and because you are not confident, you know, I'm like, oh, I need to give a person X a reason on why I need this and I don't feel like I have, I have that authority. So I'm just going to roll with whatever someone else says. Um, that's not good for everyone, you know, because you're kind of shadowing yourself and everyone that is in, is in the gaming industry is a very creative person. Like, uh, even if you're not in a super creative role, you are probably very creative. So try not to overshadow yourself on that creativity. Amazing. Thanks for that, Lucas. Really good insight on there. Um, no pressure now, Felix. On to you. Gladly, gladly. Yeah, I think you yeah, had a great take there. I can uh, only follow up with it with a lot of confirmation. Um, one thing I have really found throughout the years is that processes, workflows, and so on really are just tools on a tool belt, right? There's a bunch of ways how you can get a thing done, and there is not one right answer. And with tools, they have to work for you. So it's really about shaping a process, shaping a workflow that works for the team. And in the end, we as leads, as managers, we work for the team, right? It's easy to think that the team works for their lead, but it's actually more the other way around. We are there to shape an environment 
where people can form, where we can form a team that's, uh, that works very well. I'm in the very lucky position where my team grew from a three-person team to now being 15 people working on the same game. And I've really seen how our workflows have changed many, many times. And this mainly comes from people being proactive with feedback, with suggestions, by being the experts in their fields as well. Um, so if you are on the R team, if you're on the development team, there might be processes in your department that you can shape, that you can bring up. If something isn't working the way you want it, or if you think there could be something better, bring that up. Not even if you don't have a direct suggestion on how to do it better, because this is where we can step in and really help with our experience, with what we have seen throughout the years. How can we do something better? But if we don't know this, because you manage, you get around it, but you could perform way better, then that feedback is extremely, extremely valuable. So this ties really well into what, what you said, Lucas, about be vocal about things, be the one that voices things and don't just take it as it is, but really question, is this the way we can work with? That obviously works way better if you're in a small team because way less people discussing, way less uh, back pressure to keep things as they are. But I think even in a bigger team, then bring it up with a few people, convince a few people around you and bring it up together where then collectively there's more ways to do this rather than bringing it up in the wrong situation, which might be a retro with the whole team where there's 20 people in the room. This might not be the way to discuss it. But if you do that already in smaller rounds, this can have a great impact. Yeah, thank you for that, Felix. And Andreas, do you want to sort of um, go from that? Yeah, um, I would actually add on to what Felix said. It's a very good point, uh, bringing up um, problems. Um, I feel that often the problem is that uh, when you don't already have a solution, you get a lot of resistance about it. Like, how can you bring up a problem but don't have a solution for it? And I think actually one of the most positive ways to work with that is is saying, well, we can see that maybe there's an issue, but I don't have the competence to solve this right now. And then if, if you have kind of a healthy team environment, and people are not, uh, you know, hearing things negatively, then they're more ready to to receive that and say, okay, well, uh, that this is an appeal to me uh, to, to maybe, you know, get creative or get inspired or, hey, I feel this is maybe in my area of competence, competency and do something there. But um, yeah, I guess that has to do with, with how how the team environment is as well, because especially if you bring it up and in a, in a big meeting and stuff, people are often very reluctant to change, especially when, when work environments are stressful, when there's when there's something going on, a deadline, something, and people are like, oh God, why are you bringing this up now? Okay, we, we can't change this. We have to do this, you know? And, um, but I think just bringing it up and at least noting it somewhere, not not forgetting it, uh, kicking that off is, is important, right? But also with um, uh, uh, Lucas, uh, to add to yours with the game designer, um, being a people pleaser, I think that's very often a thing that comes up. Um, I've lamented that very often that there's like a kind of a little bit of a missing red line often sometimes with design where, you know, you'll bend on certain things where you shouldn't because maybe you there's that red line kind of missing that you're arguing around. And I think sometimes that maybe even has to do a little bit with, with imposter syndrome, right? Like you're someone else is coming in, throwing something in, saying, well, no, this this should be better. And you're like, well, I mean, probably they, they do know best, right? Like maybe, maybe mine isn't that great, right? And then, then you're bending on all these topics. So I think it's sometimes important to kind of uh, set those, set those uh, pillars for yourself that you can uh, argue your design around. That's, that's, I think, a very important part. For me personally, uh, back to the main topic, um, I actually interestingly started at a very small uh, company where I ended up being the sole developer and then I had like uh, two business guys around me. So uh, very typical way programmers start maybe. Um, and it was, I was used to solving everything, solving all the problems and having to, to be that person, right? Um, and then when I moved to a bigger company, it was uh, very, kind of tricky because um, I did end up in a small team again where basically um, I took on many um, more, not leading, but like more team 
managing proactive positions, like uh, showing people how it's like how the tech is done, how 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 we should solve these problems, right? And one of the hardest things is um, uh, learning to to let uh, let other people's competency take over and and giving and giving all that to your team, and um, especially the way I'd learned it or the way I'd been used. Of course, everything was in my hand, but I think the the most important thing is to to see in others what what they can really uh, do best, and then letting go of that. I think that's also a very junior kind of thing when you come in you're very excited you want to be the person who can do everything you want to uh, be, be really good at everything and, uh, and that's good that's how you learn a lot right like starting out let's say for me starting out as a gameplay programmer was really great because you had a, such an intersectional point of of how games are made right you know, like all the things come together usually in, in gameplay features and then um, you have to kind of have that excitement as well to want to know all that stuff but you also have to know who can actually really solve those things best? Because in the end, uh, most of the things that aren't in your main competency area aren't going to be great. And and there's lots of people out there waiting to write reviews and comments about how it's not. Yeah, amazing. Thank you for that, Andreas. Has anyone sort of got anything to add on, Nico? Have you got something to sort of chip in with towards Yeah, yeah. Um, I I love really the the different perspectives that you all brought in. Um. I think for from from what I mainly heard or my main takeaway uh, uh, from from your perspective is, hey, if it doesn't matter in what kind of role you are, be uh, uh, voice your opinion and uh, make sure that if you need something and if you uh, have something that you actually talk with the people in your team or your producer, your manager. Um, I also thought about this um, and I had a different point that I that I also wanted to share. And would also love to your take on. Um, sometimes it's not just about your uh, how you see yourself or what your issues are, but also that maybe the management role, the producer, um, does not communicate things properly, like vision, like goals. And um, interestingly, when Lucas mentioned that he was uh, uh, when he was in in the game designer role and changing his designs because other way, other people came in with, hey, why don't you do it this way or this way? Um, I feel that happens a lot when the game designer itself doesn't really know in which direction the design should go, what is the vision, the goal of their design. And I think this is also something that um, then definitely be communicated if they, if you feel as a person um, that the information that is given to you is not enough, then uh, uh, you should definitely also make sure that the person above you or the person responsible for it knows that and can, I think, adjust on that. But yeah, that's that's my opinion. I would love to hear if if uh, Andreas, Felix, or Lucas also has uh, input on this. Yeah, go for it, Lucas. You got something? Yeah, I can go. Uh, yeah, I mean, this situation like it depends. Uh, uh, it definitely like what Felix was Felix was saying, also from Andreas. Like smaller teams, right? It's a different thing uh, than big teams. Like I think that the bigger you get, like the more slow you move, right? And like this kind of situation that Nico just said happens more and more because, like, I mean. Uh, you have like decisions being made uh, in a lot of in a lot of um, uh, um, silos, and uh, and then you get the information already ready for you to digest, right? So maybe it's a workflow change, maybe it's like the way that you you know uh, uh, submit your work or something like that, and you were like, well, maybe not everyone could be a part of that, and uh, that's I guess where a lot of what Andreas was saying gets into question, and I remember like a from experience. Kind of like growing as this. I think that the imposter syndrome, of course, like it, it plagues everyone in the in the creative industry, maybe everywhere, right? Like, I mean, uh, you're you're doing your stuff and you want to be Batman, right? You want to be like, hey, Lucas is great, and you know, like everyone knows that he's good, and then you can leave this stuff in his hands and you gotta do it. And then, of course, when you're home, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Um, it's difficult for you to voice that when you're feeling like that. And I mean, I struggle with this now right so like there's a lot of stuff like even with a lot of experiences you struggle especially when you move jobs you're in another um, um tribe right so you need to kind of like go through that uh, trial period again you know like that trial by fire again uh so what i was saying about being intentional it depends a lot on the health of the team that you work on you know like the the workspace uh security that you feel like i mean just say like well maybe i should know this like and they're saying like well yeah 
if they're pointing out is because they know better, right? They know more than me and my stuff is kind of bad. So, well, I'm just going to follow along because, you know, I want to be good. Um, when you are, especially when you're more experienced and you feel like, oh, I should know that I cannot show that I don't, right? So that's a big problem, you know, because you start hiding, you know, that pain. Uh, sometimes it happens a lot in game development with acronyms, right? Someone creates a, an acronym for a design, some things like, Oh, we are changing the BCDE. It was like, well, I, maybe I should know that. Maybe someone said it in the media. I'm not going to expose myself that I don't know. And then you, you know, go on your life, not knowing what's going on. So, I mean, so just to close off my thought, I think that this is very um, tied to the point that we only have a certain amount of energy every day. And there are some roles that are more exposed than others, right? Producers, for example, directors, managers, uh, game designers. Uh, so at some point, like there, you're going to need to make decisions and people are not going to like them. Um, and, uh, but your role is also not, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a balance between being lenient and being arrogant, right? You, you, like you need to be able to, uh, um, defend your ideas because you know that they're good. And then you feel safe about that, right? You don't need to prove to everyone that you are the best. No, it's not about that. You are the one with the with the the demand. You know you can do it, and this is what you came up with. But like I said, it depends on the uh, on the safety that the the team um, feels. And uh, definitely, what I guess my main takeaway, what Andrea said that reminded me of this, is like trusting other people in their disciplines is hard, right? So like it is it is possible that developers see a new workflow from the production gang and they're like ah this doesn't make any sense now we need to change all of that again and then we're going to lose a lot of hours just to change that yes but you know questioning that is okay raising that up like Pat Felix said but also trusting first is also really good right when you have that 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 good works work environment where you trust someone well if this was put forth it makes some sense and I'm not going to just you know complain about it blindly so just while trusting everyone's um um roles is also something that is very mature to do amazing thanks for that lucas and i think that actually brings us into our sort of next topic actually and uh this is felix uh yours is what are some uh sub-effective strategies for fostering a culture of collaboration between team members of the game team yeah maybe i can give a bit of context there yeah please um, basically, as we just discussed already, right, talking and collaborating also between different departments, but even inside a department and in the end, in the whole team is extremely important for having a performing team. Because if you just work on your own and uh, you only throw everything together at the end, uh, we've all uh, probably seen this event, uh, at some point in our careers, things don't always work out. You want to collaborate, you want to help each other, you want to build these things up. So what I would like to hear some some opinions on and maybe some ways on how you do this already is how you make these collaborations happen. How do you foster that environment of communicating with each other, of people being open to communicate and not just being people pleasers, being in their role and just accepting what is there, actually making them question things, making them bring up things and making them proactively collaborate with each other. No, thank you there, Felix. And Andreas, you want to set, uh, set us off with this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so obviously I do not have vast amounts of experience and data to back this all up. But um, so grain of salt. But um, so one way I see this happen a lot is like, you know, uh, departmental reviews, departmental uh, meetings where people within the departments collaborate a lot. Uh, but one of the most effective things I find is uh, these like feature teams or sometimes they call them strike teams. Uh, I find that name a little aggressive, but <laughs> feature team is a really good one uh, where people from different departments will actually come together for different features. It's um, you actually also see this a lot in the, the non-game industry. Like, for example, one of like the, the Spotify engineering culture is like a, a very well-known uh, example of, of this kind of workflow where they have like these kind of feature teams uh, as they 
or I, I don't remember what they called it now exactly, but it was basically these like uh, small groups that would work together uh, from different departments to to solve a problem. And uh, from my experience, I observed it this way. I would I originally worked more in like okay, I would get a feature handed to me like a like a design or something from the design department, and then I would uh, program that or um, or I would uh, create a design and then I would sync up with with all the people necessary and you know they would just kind of go off and do that and then it would come back and then we would talk about that or something. But I found uh, then later I was uh, moved. I I, I kind of um, worked on a more separate part of the game where then I kind of had my own little feature team because it just made more sense to work like this. And that was actually one of the more most creative times and one of the best collaboration times because of how the team worked together. It was just these four different people from different departments and we would uh, sing a lot, talk a lot, and there was also a lot of open input from the different departments. Um, from like the programmer, she had a completely different perspective or something. She could bring out completely different stuff. Uh, the artist, uh, uh, he, he had lots of ideas how to do stuff here and you in in game in the game design you would maybe think like okay wait we'll let you know let's let's keep it more along the intended path and then you would see this we're like okay that's a little curious little thing that we could we could try and integrate or 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 not right that's the most important thing you have to be very pragmatic not just game designers but everyone you have to be kind of pragmatic about what you do but yeah I found that this kind of feature team workflow was probably the the one where 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 there was the most exchange between people it was not uh, just documents moving between department boundaries but it was really just these four people they felt a lot we felt a lot of ownership over all the stuff we did as well i think this is maybe the core of the whole thing that people feel ownership for the things because then they they have like a internal emotional commitment to the thing and then they they also intrinsically want to go and speak to other people to make that thing better um so yeah yeah thanks for that andreas nicholas would you want to lead on from there yeah, um, I'm actually going a bit back um, or taking a different approach. Um, considering the, the subtopic was what are some effective strategies uh, for fostering a culture of collaboration between members of a game team, um, for me, it starts with a few different aspects. So when does it actually happen that someone starts to collaborate or when are people open to collaboration with others? But I think though there there comes different aspects into it, like, hey, am I actually motivated about the product that we're doing about, or about the, the project itself? Um, because motivation intri intrinsic or extrinsic in the end uh, uh, both really helps to find new solution if it's innovative or not. Um, but to actually also get to that point, you also need to feel kind of safe in your environment. Like if, if you feel like your ideas, every time you, you mention some, um, they're just getting uh, they're hitting a wall, no one wants to listen to them, then at some point you also will stop or but even start um, collaborate and collaborating with other people. Um, and lastly, I also think that it's it's important also here that um, it's clear direction that the project or the product takes in this moment for uh, a collaboration to happen, because if you don't know what the goal is, how should you collaborate with others to achieve that? So I think those those are three uh, aspects that are important. And if we look at strategies, I, I found it quite um, interesting to to start off with with workshops with each other. If it's just in the department itself that works, but also like interdepartmental. Um, but um, the important aspect that I found out for myself was that if you do a pr uh, workshops, um, don't do them goal oriented. Like what is the solution that we take out, but um, focus them on finding new ideas. It's not about like finding the perfect idea. It's about like getting new ideas in and afterwards, like discuss them with the team, see, hey, what what do the other feel like uh, uh, is really interesting, maybe build on top of that. And once this workshop is over, take all of that in and then let either a team or a person go through and see, okay, what of these, uh, what, what are, which ideas can we actually take and use for our uh, product or project. And what I found out that happens is that people, even if their idea was just small, they, they started to to bring them in because they knew, hey, in the end, it's, it, we, we listen to it, we, we talk about them. Maybe this time my idea was not the one that was taken, but um, it was heard. And um, 
One of my favorite moments that actually happened was that for one project, then we had a really small idea, which was not taken, but it was such a small and good idea that we used it for another project. And um, obviously for the person who had this idea, this was like also a little uh, celebration moment, which also um, brings me to my second point of uh, what kind of strategies I think is, is really important. Um, we're all just humans. We celebrate stuff if we uh, things that we uh, uh, feel like hey this went nice but obviously we also do mistakes from time to time and collaboration and the culture of feeling safe I think starts exactly there being allowed to make mistakes and then not feel like hey uh, uh, I just did a mistake will I get fired or not like once you have this kind of feeling you know um, this is the point where, where everything I at least from my perspective uh, uh, stops uh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, Lucas, you're shaking your head a lot there. Um, <laughs> Ross, do you want to follow on? Yeah. Well, thanks both for the really good takeaways. Like, I think that, yeah, I mean, if we go, I, and I like what Nico said, like, let's bring a step back, right, from the origins of the situation. Like, I think that, uh, again, easier said than done, but I guess, like, everything starts with four things for me. First, you need clarity, right? clarity on the goals, clarity on the processes. Um, it's important for people to know what they're doing. And I mean, this is not only when you're talking about like what team we're doing, when we are releasing, what are, no, it's like, what is this sprint about, right? What is this iteration on this feature about? What we want to know, like, do we want to get feedback? Do we want to just understand better? Um, uh, this is very important that we don't make things lose so people have like micro objectives that they can be hyped about. Um, clarity on the processes is very important because like, people need to just know like, hey, I can come to work uh, every morning and I know, you know, how to go with my day. You know, like when you have uncertainty, which is like at the core of game development <laughs> already, uh, um, when you just make that, amplify that, everyone's just being anxious, right? What, why we're we doing this? Why? why? What is the thing and how, right? So clarity on the goals, clarity on the processes. Even when clarity on whatever is bad, you know, like, oh, you know, like our submission tool, it doesn't work that well. Yeah, we know that, right? So uh, if we know, boom, we put there, there's clarity on that. Don't worry about it. You know, it's not you, right? It's not you making a mistake, it's the tool, this kind of stuff. Uh, then trust people. You need to give people trust. Like, and, and that ties a lot with what we were talking before. Like, when you have a demand and you are, are you you have your role you got this task i trust you to develop it i trust you to fail with it i trust you to make decisions out of it and you need to you don't you don't micromanage all the time you know like maybe you pair people who work together maybe if it's a junior person you pair them with a more senior but you don't do like oh you did all wrong let me fix this for you you don't do that because that's just going to demolish this person's career right um and you also like if because you trust you give ownership and not only to individuals, but to teams, right? So, hey, this is yours uh, to take care of. And there's two ways to do that. One, I think, is the good way, and the other one is the bad way. The good way is like, hey, we trust you to do this, uh, but the results are the results, you know? Like, you, you enter the port, you play. I love, like, LeBron James talked about that. I like sports, sorry. But, like, he said, like, hey, you give everything on the court, and then you live by the results. If you lose, you lose. If you win, you win. That's fine. But... If you give ownership, but then you blame, oh, yeah, I mean, that was that person that was doing it. I mean, what can I do, right? No, we take the blame together. So that's the, the, the I think that that all brings safety, right? And that kind of like allows people to, like Nico said, don't worry about, and I mean, this is, this happens way more than I would like in this industry. Like the people are just like so scared of like breaking, you know, the glass. Uh, um, that you just like you don't feel good, right? You don't feel good, and when you don't feel good, you cannot perform well. So I think that I mean, at least for me, oh, that's my uh, experience. And one thing that I like, which is like a, a, a something that we can do, of course, as a producer, <laughs> some people don't like this, and it depends on how you do it. But I really like retrospectives, and you know, like uh, depending on what you did, if you do like, oh, let's do a retrospective on whatever we did the whole year, that that's not <laughs> that will go that well in my experience. But it is cool that you have like, hey, these were our goals. Like we had this chunk of time. We did this. What went wrong? What went good? Uh, I think that this having this safe space to talk about that may make 
people actually bring that safety um, more. And you, we can see the difference when people feel safe and when they don't. Perfect, Lucas. Um, Felix, do you want to take on from that? Sure thing. Yeah, uh, very, very good points from, from all three of you. And I obviously also made some notes of myself because this is obviously topics that we work on every single day, right? Um, I'm going to jump on on the topic that you talked last about, which is a lot of feedback and looking at things. Um, feedback, I think, is one of the main drivers. Uh, we only know and we only communicate with each other uh, if we know if things are going good or bad. And feedback in both directions is key, right? We need to know if something went bad, but at the same time, if we never give good feedback on like, hey, you did this well, or hey, we really achieved this, then um, basically we just foster an environment of fear to break things. So also showing the impact in the end, I think, is a very, very strong tool. Um, for us in the mobile industry, this is obviously we have a very, very fast feedback loop. We release updates uh, sometimes once a week, right? So you get a lot of feedback from the from the players themselves. Uh, so it's it's great for us. We had moments right after we released where, okay, let's go to our Discord and watch what players are saying and you get a bunch of feedback both good and negative, and then sometimes the negative feedback is like, hey, you need to fix this, and you're like already sitting in the corner smirking because you've already fixed it. It's just waiting for the release. Um, that's great. Um, but to also have people give feedback, that is a skill that you need to learn. And this is something we've talked about it where the junior doesn't give as much feedback most often than the senior might do. And this is for us a skill that I also look at and then looking at the career of someone. And you give good feedback. And one thing there is to feel safe and also to know each other, right? So only when you know each other in a team, you really work together. And you have simple tools like workshops, like team events, like celebrating together, like doing stuff that is maybe not directly related to what you're working on can help so much to build a team. But I think there are also processes that help with this, right? We talked about ownership, we talked about driving things forward. And one thing I implemented in my team, for example, is doing feature plans and kickoffs. So specifically on the dev team here, that's obviously where I work most. Um, what we do when we start working on a new feature is we're going to look at the GDD uh, that our designer made. We look that we have everything and we write a small, we use Google Slides for it. Is not really a documentation it's just a tool that we use to write something right but we write a quick presentation where we just break down okay these are the things that we want to do and then we do a small kickoff with a feature team as as you uh, said andreas where we just get together for a very short sync and like hey this is what i understand from the feature is that actually correct because we don't want to work off assumptions we want to work off requirements and then we can discuss, are these requirements really what we want to do? Or maybe, and this is a core thing for devs also, this is super complicated to uh, to implement. But if we make this very small twist on there, it becomes way easier. Is that okay for you? And then basically trusting again on the game designer to evaluate, does that feature then still work? Or does this majorly change it? Because we can save a bunch of time on this. We can make our life way easier. And I think that has really changed how we develop and we have way less points where it's in the retro at the end, hey, uh, the feature was actually implemented in a completely different way and we had to go back to the drawing board to make it happen. And this is what you obviously want to prevent. So yeah, very, very good points. I think we covered uh, covered most of it. Uh, very happy with what I've heard there. No, thank you, Felix. Okay, we'll move on then. Uh, so we'll come to you then, Andreas, next. And uh, your question is, how do you deal with inter interdepartmental conflict and um, competency boundaries overstepping. Do you want to sort of give us some context behind it? Yeah, um, I think I made that sound more complicated than it needs to be, but basically, um, a very so I'll start with a kind of an example to 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 uh, kick it off. So uh, very often you have a uh, kind of dynamic, like let's say um, a designer will come up with a design, and then it will end up with 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 programming, and then there will be um, some pushback maybe. Or there will be, uh, I don't know, I don't mean to step on any programmer's toes, but sometimes you will meet one or two that will be like, well, this is all really bad 
and um, we can't implement this and what did you even think of and this design isn't even fleshed out or how did this land here and so but this goes in all directions uh, with with all kinds of things uh, uh, it doesn't just have to be but this is a dynamic I've observed a lot um, there actually was a funny uh, very interesting podcast I heard of quite a long time ago now but basically um, at, at Blizzard they used to <laughs> even some of the programmers in the very early days used to call their uh, designers uh, snippers because they would, uh, in their eyes, they would just snip their fingers uh, at features and the programmers would go and have to do them. And I feel this is still a perception that is uh, that is still out there a lot. And um, basically what I'm talking about is when people um, don't respect these the competency of other people's uh, disciplines very often this happens with design because people very often have the view like, oh yeah, well, you know, pretty much anyone can, you know, just design something, right? Like there is no greater logic behind that. I've seen this come from game directors. I've seen this come from programmers. Um, uh, when turned around, people are also not very happy about this. And generally this kind of leads more to an escalation of conflict. Um, and my question is really, how do you deal with that? How do you keep everyone respectful of each other's uh, well, competencies of their disciplines and uh, have them actually be friendly with each or, you know, constructive with each other. Felix, go for it. So take everything that I'm going to say with a slight grain of salt, because one thing I, I think is if it works without any clear boundaries, it works, right? So if you have a team that is very used to just working and communicating in that way and you don't have to set any clear lines of, okay, this is the line where you decide this, I decide this, and it works, and nobody has a problem with this, it works. But identifying if there is a problem is usually one of the things that is tricky. Because what you run into is, we talked before, people accepting the status quo and maybe not raising it, and actively being on top of that and seeing, okay, is there maybe a conflict, and actively asking for it is very important. And then if there is a conflict, then we should address it as soon as possible, right? Because once frustration is there, collaboration gets really hard. If you're frustrated with another department, that's terrible because then you're not not like even this one person, but you're like strong front, this team against this team. Nothing you want to have. One thing that is, I think, a key tool to prevent these boundary overstepings is also defining what is overstepping the boundary. And I think this often comes from just a very simple confusion um, that we also see on other things on management like delegation but I think it applies here as well whereas defining on who makes the decision and what do I expect from someone so if I as a programmer come to the designer on like hey how do we do this then is the question here a I want you to make the decision please tell me what to do or do I ask you to consult me so I just want your opinion, your professional opinion on what you think, how should this be done? I need some input from your side, but in the end, I need to make the decision. In some cases, this should be a decision that's made together, but that's usually the rarest case as that needs the longest discussions and is very complicated to get to one specific point. So when you have these conflicts, decide, uh, defining who makes the decision and what is the role here, is it just... I inform you about the decision or I consult you or is it the other way around? I need consulting from you and I make the decision to inform you uh, at the end. That can really help prevent these misunderstandings that are usually one of those uh, core things. On top of that, obviously having owners for these departments, so having some lead in middle management or even higher management that can help uh, solve these conflicts because Sometimes there's also just from the hierarchy, some back pressure of like, okay, but you're management, I'm not, how do we resolve this conflict? I'm kind of scared to work against you. It's usually a problem. So having someone in management, if you have that, that's great. And uh, try to get them involved to solve conflicts. But in most cases, solving it just on the communication level is already, already a very powerful. Topic. Thanks Felix. Yeah, go on Lucas. Awesome. Thank you Felix for the great points and i think that yeah this i guess the biggest thing is actually striving for clarity 
on the ownership, right? Like on the, this is complicated, right? Like, I mean, uh, it depends on how your teams are structured, right? I've worked with a uh, development um, project where we have like department teams. So basically you have like, it's big, big, very silo inducing because you have the programmer, the artist, the, you know, backend engineers are like, it, it's very separated. And then you, of course, going to have a little bit of like a tribalization if you don't have like a, a, a very healthy work environment. So like the programmers are going to complain about the artists that are going to complain about, you know, the directors and the producers and blah, blah, blah. So it's very good uh, uh, to first understand like what, what structure you're do dealing with. Uh, do you have like a bunch of feature teams, which like they are owning uh, features specifically and they can do everything on that. Right. And like they don't have many dependencies on the others. Uh, so I think it depends a lot on that. But I guess like the one size fits all, let's put it like that, which doesn't depend on the side, the, the structure of your team, or if you're talking about, you know, directors wanting more in production, wanting to cut or this kind of stuff. I guess the first thing is just like strive for quality on ownership. You know, like there's, there's some times, for an example, that the word of a director talking about adding stuff to the game wait more than the word of a producer, you know, and at some point the word, Producer waits more because maybe you want to close the game, you want to ship the game. So, like, you need to actually, you know, give that. Uh, so, it depends a lot. So, strive for this clarity. Who actually makes the decision here? Uh, is it the uh, uh, idea that is one person, uh, not a bunch of people, right? Because if it's a bunch of people, they're just going to be, you know, throwing the hot potato. So, strive for the clarity. But I guess the main thing that I really like, if we talk about it a little bit, trust and respect people's crap, right? So, when you're going to talk about something you don't like, you know, you have like this conflict. Like, I mean, I don't think that this menu color should be blue. It should be red because, it, you know, it, it's it's all like this. The whole franchise is like this. But you are not the UI director, for an example, right? So uh, um, trust that person, you know, like uh, discuss that with them. Contact them. Hey, I have a concern. I think that this doesn't match. I think that this is this is not working that well, you know, and I wanted you to know, and I wanted to give you this feedback. But in the end, you, you, you made your piece, you know, you did, you make, you gave your feedback, but now you trust that people, that person's craft because they are the owner of that decision. And I mean, if I guess you start with that and uh, you, you, you have people that are mature enough to be able to not overstep the boundary, like Felix says, what is stepping the boundary? Like, it's kind of like, you said what you wanted to say you know that you're not the one making the decision, that's the boundary, right? So like now it's up to someone else. Maybe it's clear, maybe it's not. Hopefully it is to make that decision, right? So you, you've made your piece, that's fine. Now go take care of the stuff that you can actually make an impact on uh, uh, and decide on. So I think that, that if you do that, also like adds to the whole theme that we're talking about here, which is like a safe, in the healthy work environment. Yeah, really nice, uh, Lucas. We'll come to you first, Nico. Nicholas. Yeah, um, I really like the um, information that that Felix gave. Um, in in other words, uh, uh, for me, this this is all coming back to expectation management. Um, what do you need? What do you want? Um, what does the other person see? And I think the thought of escalating it is interesting. So we we just talked about okay. Um, Expectation management. What what are things? Making sure that everything is clear, that the boundaries and the uh, respons responsibilities are clear. Uh, so so clarity, in other words. But what happens if if this is given, um, but someone is still uh, overstepping? And I think this is a really interesting thought um, because for me, while thinking about it, there are two main plausible options. Then, on one hand, um, if if this ha if this happens, then the person might be really motivated about something. And they just cannot see it going into the other direction uh, um, that the other person, the other department wants to take it and wants to to not only voice their opinion, but actually like put their opinion on top, like it's more important. So this is one of the options that I think uh, um, uh, is really plausible. And on the other hand, um, they just feel like the other person or the other department doesn't do their job correctly. Um, coming back to the beginning where Andreas mentioned that Sometimes the designers design a feature which is just not possible to implement from a technical standpoint. Um, if that happens a lot, I think then it's clear that or people, especially in the programmer department, they feel like 
I start to feel like, hey, why are we here? Like we we do this every time again and again. We're, we're just like going in a loop. Um, and that's the point where they either quit, I guess, or um, take the matters into their own hands. So those are the two main possible options that I see. Obviously, there is also uh, smaller ones, which I currently don't want to go into. But um, thinking about that, um, it's, it's really interesting to see, okay, what can we as producers, as managers, as leaders do in this in this moment? And I I really think it comes down to, to communication and understanding first, the, 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 the reason and then implementing workflow processes um, to, to mitigate it. And this is also what Lucas already tackled a bit, where he mentioned that giving feedback, um, putting in their thoughts into something is really important. Um, but yeah, I would, would love to hear uh, uh, if you guys have, have something like that uh, in place and and how it, it might be. Amazing, thank you. Uh, you got something to say, Andres? Yeah, uh, I, first of all, I would continue right with the question that uh, Nico just posed. Um, and second, I think I have another option that is um, much more uh, drastic. Um, so to add on to that question, um, so I don't have any processes in place. I do, I, um, we don't have that, but I've observed uh, in the past where a situation like this got too much, where there was um, just, there was... Uh, too much um, toxicity. It's a very popular word right now, but it is definitely an applicable word for certain situations. And in this case, when it gets too toxic, when this trust does not exist, when this maturity is not there, when um, a lot of the work you would have to do with with people to to make them collaborate is beyond the competencies or the the job description of of game studio producers. And in that case, I've actually seen it been very positive for a team to fire people to actually remove people from the team that are so counterproductive to the to the to the system to the others who pull them down in their energy who pull them down in their creative capacity and who uh, can actually block the project like really significantly block project of something um, with with their decisions or with the way they decide to do their job and I've also seen teams flourish after those people have been removed because that's when they were actually they there was like a breath of of, of air uh, everyone could breathe when that happened um, and I think this is an option that many people don't talk about too much we hear about it maybe in a GDC talk here you see it on a LinkedIn post where it's like you know people should be lifting up and not pulling down or whatever but it's not something like Nothing that comes easily when you actually are faced with that situation. It's, it's, it is also a tough decision sometimes to make because often people are long-term employees or you spend a lot of energy hiring them, integrating them into the team, bring them in, and then these dynamics happen and um, then it becomes the only option and you really want to be sure that this is the, the, the only option there really is left. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to put it out there that that is definitely something that I've seen happen, I've seen happen to a positive extent, and it is sometimes an option that is really good because we talk about things like, you know, we can solve this as if as if the the resource, the person can always be kept and then molded or, or pushed into a direction that, that they then become positive for the team, but that's not always the case. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. Right, so we'll move on to our sort of last and final sort of question, which is coming from Lucas. Uh, his question is, how do you foster an environment of safety for your teams and how does this affect the performance in the long run? Uh, do you want to give us a bit of context behind this, Lucas? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think that uh, it's good that this is the last question, right? Because I guess the overall team here was actually feeling safe in the work environment and how that actually affects, you know, the dynamics on the teams. Because, I mean, uh, game development, like we said, it is uncertainty as it, at, at its core, right? Like we need to embrace that it is uncertain, uh, that the development is kind of uncertain. Well, we, the aspirations are kind of uncertain. We start the project. It depends on the platform, of course, where you're going to be spending you know, at least some months on this. And the word might change a little bit when you're releasing it. Um, and yeah, so like things can go well, things things can go wrong. Um, and uh, also like when you release the game, you also don't know how what's going to go. You know, like if players are going to love it, if you know we're going to, uh, make a lot of millions of dollars or not. Uh, um, so knowing that's, that the uncertainty is the key, right? Like uh, on game development. 
I wanted to ask us uh, how do we actually foster an environment that is not anxiety inducting in people, right? Like because this is already <laughs> anxiety inducting. Uh, uh, a lot we are super brave to be working with this kind of stuff. Um, because basically for me, like the role of everything that we're talking about here, the 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 byproduct of it is enabling the teams to be more right than they would be alone. So like making a game in a team. You can do like an indie wonder as a one, uh, but like you can do a triple A game as like, you know, like hundreds of people. So how do you actually uh, enable people to be more than uh, right the sum of its parts and how you enable them to thrive, right? So I think that this is a little bit less about um, the technicalities of it, but like the human of it, right? Like how do we make these humans making games feel good and safe and happy with their life. Perfect. Yeah, Andreas, go for it. Um, well, from my side, what I can say is um, I've seen actually people been much less, um, have much less ego, been, been much uh, softer and uh, more collaborative in, in their way when they also know each other outside of the, of the teamwork. They don't have to be friends outside of work. Yeah, I mean, you should have separate lives too, but you, like, you know, you spend time with each other doing small things such as team lunches and little things like this. Uh, it, it doesn't always just have to be company retreat or, or, or something like that. It can be very small things within the company where people are encouraged to to um, know each other more than just their professional selves. I think that's why I'm such a big fan of the feature team as well because that's where that happens a lot more to them as, as well. And you kind of see all these other different perspectives and then what happens and and another part is also what people can do within themselves is um try to see what they're doing as part of a whole as well because if you're very attached to 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 your feature to your individual work then criticism you take uh you receive comes much more personally and i think if you kind of detach yourself a little bit from that and see it as the criticism coming or the the feedback coming as something that feeds into the greater whole of the project and um, then I think that is also a way for people to work on themselves so it's not just what people do actively toward, uh, towards each other but it's also what passively people can do for themselves to become better at being collaborated with yeah yeah thanks for that uh, Nicholas this is a really important point for me because before I came into this industry I did an apprenticeship where I worked in a bigger company and I felt uh, safe with everyone except the people that uh, were in my department so that was a bit uh, an uncomfortable uh, situation so this is really a topic that uh, uh, has uh, uh, that that my heart goes in and um, what I found for myself is uh, that in the end it, it comes down to understanding that everyone is different um, that, uh, that they also have different needs and if you want to create an environment safety it's, it starts from the top but also uh, from everyone in itself. So it's not just that um, in the end, uh, uh, user producer um, are the sole one to do that, but obviously you are one of the key aspects where the safety environment starts. And interestingly, um, people tend to, to think about, okay, how can we make a safe environment? Yeah, well, let people fail. Um, unfortunately, or <laughs> luckily, that does, this doesn't happen too often, depending but um, what I found is showing that you're just all that you're human helps with that what what do I mean with that um, I don't think that everyone can be 100% productive meaning if you have an eight-hour day you will not be writing code for example for eight straight hours there are moments when you just need a little breath where you need to just uh, wind up and take a step outside um, or how do you, you you do your breaks? And sometimes you also f uh, find yourself that you maybe are distracted. And um, I think even these little moments can help that you show, hey, I'm also producer. I also do those things. I'm also just human. Um, helps to uh, let other pe people feel safe uh, around you because um, then they know it's it's not just about like being 100% focused and you have to be 100% focused um uh, uh and that in my opinion helped to op uh, let people open up uh, around each other um one of my favorite things that i like to do in that regard is every time when someone screen shares 
and we have we tend to to have people who who have like 20 30 different tabs open then i'd be like hey can you open up this exact tab and um usually it ends up that we have just a little one two three minutes conversation about what it is and it's not about like um pointing out hey you have something open that is not work related but in the end about uh, it's, it's about hey um like getting to into small conversation with the other person and this is also a little part that really helps to, to create a safe environment for other people yeah i love that nicholas um felix go for it yep i want to i want to get right into what you just said nico um that's great i think taking people out of this i have to perform environment is really key um to step one step back from that i think having clear communication channels for feedbacks, for concerns, for problems in the first place is very important, right? Because one thing is creating the safe environment. The other thing is identifying that there might be something where someone feels unsafe. Um, as managers, as producers, as leads, this is obviously a key role where we need to help these people. And it's also important that there's not only one channel for this because what if someone feels unsafe with you? Then they should have someone else to also go to. But to come back to creating this environment where you feel more open to share these things, one thing I, for example, like to do is, well, if we need to discuss something real quick, let's do it at the coffee machine. Let's not just stick around, but um, just take a short walk. Or one thing, obviously, not every time, just from time to time, I like to, if we have a one-on-one and it's nice weather, like, Today, for example, I like to go on a walk with someone and have the talk there instead of sitting down on on the desk facing each other, right? This almost confrontational situation. You're sitting across from each other, looking at each other. Worst case, having a laptop open, you're not seeing what the other one is writing down in notes, right? Sharing notes on a one-on-one is a great tool, by the way. Um, but just going for a walk and having a casual talk going on topics that might not be work-related, but hooking them back into it and having just a way more casual situation really helps people to open up. And sometimes asking these questions on like, hey, how do you feel about the situation that we had last week in the meeting where people got a bit more heated? Just asking these questions, very uncomfortable to ask, by the way. It's something to get used to when you do it more and more time. But that really helps for people to then be like, yeah, I kind of didn't want to voice it, but now that you ask, and then you get into the topic of, okay, let's fix that. Uh, and that, for me at least, has been a, a great tool and also being a shield on the other hand. So if communication is coming from leadership, we have to reach this goal. We don't need to communicate it that way to everyone else, right? We can formulate it, okay, we have these and these and these goals. Let's try to do this and organize it, break it down, give some reasons. Because yeah, further you go up in the in the line, the more concrete we have to reach these goals. These are business goals. This is where our performance is measured at. That doesn't need to be always this clear downwards. While transparency is important, you can voice it in a better way that is a bit easier to understand, a bit easier to work with. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Felix. Uh, do you want to wrap this up, Lucas? Yeah, I want to say something that came up in my mind. And I think that means talking about myself, like as a producer, but also like, you know, just as a person that is working with games, right? I have other stuff going on in my life and like the job is not the most important of it and uh, not, not, it isn't for anyone. And one thing that I would like to say, like for the producers and managers that are listening, like, please don't be an agent of urgency in people's life, you know, like sometimes, yes, things are urgent because something broke and we have, you know, priority systems for that. You know, maybe it's a release day, like everyone needs to be on call, whatever. Like, yeah, but try to do that, you know, with a window. Uh, Try to not be anxiety inducing on people because they just know that you can just send in a message. Hey, can you just drop on a phone like now? Like, don't do that (laughs) because that makes someone's, you know, life very chaotic and and, and it hurts, you know, and uh, the more, the more, I mean, when I was younger, I'm now 33 years old and I think I'm super young, but I think that on my twenties, I had way more energy and, um, it was okay for me to deal with that. And now it's not like it, it literally physically hurt. And so beware of that, you know, like, uh, of, of your words, if you're a producer, uh, there is one 
uh, a really interesting thing that happened to me once. Like I was switching teams and like another producer was moving out and I was moving in. And then I kind of like came and I kind of made a joke uh, because uh, we were working uh, hybridly, right? And like well, with people all around the world. So someone said like, hey, are we doing like a daily stand-up tomorrow virtually or in person? But like by in person, that person means like, you know, just uh, like we're doing right now, video cameras on Teams or whatever tool you're using. And I said, oh, we do it tomorrow virtually with cameras. Like what I meant is like, well, it is virtually, but instead of just text, let's do the camera thing and blah, blah, blah. Everyone turned off turn on their cameras you know <laughs> like, like everyone came up to that they stand up with their camera on and it was like oh i thought that was misunderstanding I, mean, I love that you have your camera on i love to see all of you but like if this is uncomfortable for you i'm so sorry i didn't mean that you are obliged you know to turn on your cameras and then a guy said to me lucas you need to be wary of your of your words you know because you're the producer everyone wants you know to follow kind of your, your words very closely so yes be mindful of that you know like when you're in positions of power if you're a manager of someone, a producer usually. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to close that off with that thought. Like, please understand that people have their own life. The work is not the most important thing. And uh, you need to be calm when you want to request their attention. You don't come like, hey, I need you now. Right? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't blow it off. <laughs> Amazing. What a way to wrap it up. And yeah, thank you all for everything. Uh, so, yeah. What I'd like to do is just say thank you for all of you for sharing your thoughts uh, today on the podcast. And today we've had uh, Nicholas, Lucas, Felix and Andreas on the podcast. And if you wish to participate in a future podcast, please just reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. And this also goes for if you want to discuss any additional help that you may need uh, for your team, please again, just reach out on LinkedIn. And thank you very much, everyone. And we'll see you soon.